Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. A lot of ink has been spilled on how the United States' crazy permitting rules actually prevent green energy projects from getting off the ground. And with Congress seemingly in a state of perpetual gridlock uh, or campaign mode or both, the question is, is there anything that can be done right now to fix some of those problems with permitting and get all kinds of projects from wind and solar to everything in between onto a little better path? If we're going to talk about it, let's actually make sure we can do it. And to help us figure all of that out, we turn uh, to our expert on that and uh, one of our great inside sources from the R Street Institute, Phil Rossetti. He's the uh, R Street Institute's resident senior fellow, and he studies all things energy-related and always provides us with what we need to know. So, Phil, uh, you recently wrote about uh, some of the permitting reform that needs to be done. Uh, and again, just to kind of set the stage for our listeners, just give us some sense of uh, why it is that we need this kind of reform and what kinds of things are in the way to actually getting some of these climate and, and green energy projects off the ground. Yeah, that's a, a great question because this has been an exceedingly complicated topic, and I don't think it surprises anyone that as simple as it is to say permitting reform, actually doing it is very, very difficult because permitting in the U.S. is not just about saying, okay, here's a project, we're going to let it happen and then move forward. Uh, most of the permitting is done through um, something called the National Environmental Policy Act, which is what any sort of major federal project uh, that has a significant environmental impact has to go through, and that is what we call an umbrella law. So it's actually ensuring compliance with all of the other laws, Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, and all that. So in promulgating this and trying to get through it, uh, all of the underlying regulations that have grown have also made this a more complicated endeavor. And it used to take about two years, two to three years to get through this process. Now it takes about you know three to five years usually, and it's not uncommon for projects to take 10 years or more. Mm. So we're seeing this real problem where we want to invest more, we want to build more. And you see a lot of politicians talk about their vision of more transportation infrastructure, more clean energy. Uh, but getting there actually is not easy to do in a timely fashion. And reforming this is something that Congress has tried to do in the past, uh, and really some Simple fixes could go a long way, but it is a very contentious issue because 
um, it, it touches so many environmental laws that people obviously uh, want to have preserved and, and preserve the quality of the environment that we're all living in. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. This this is not an either-or conversation. I think this is about how do you actually make sure that you are a good steward of the environment, do things that are positive for, for the climate, and do it in a way that actually can be done and have that positive impact. You you mentioned that it's it's taking years to go through some of this permitting process, and that's often millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and so it actually starts to be counterproductive in terms of uh, companies, entrepreneurial companies that maybe have great idea, great technology, things that would help the planet and the environment. Uh, but they have to calculate now and say, okay, are we really willing to bet, you know, four years of our company's life and millions of dollars uh, from investors or that we've earned over the years uh, to, to take a flyer on on some permitting process that we're not even sure we'll be able to do when we get all the way to the finish line. Right. And it's definitely important to keep in mind that when we start looking at all the projects that are going through NEPA, it's not a lot of fossil fuel projects. It's renewable projects and clean energy and transmission and all of these things that we consider as important to a clean environment. They're making up a bigger portion of the permitting snares. And this is just because those are the projects that we're building now. You know, we're not building new coal mines. We're not building, uh, you know, a lot of new coal plants or infrastructure related to fossil fuels. Uh, A huge amount of the investment and almost all of the resources trying to get connected to the grid right now are clean energy related. So you can't get a cleaner environment without addressing the speed of actually building new things. Yeah, so let's let's look at that speed and and what some of the those possible reforms might look like. What are some of the things that are coming up where we could change the game in terms of that whole process, speed that up, be responsible, and actually get some of these things done? So I think a light touch actually has a lot more potential for mm-hmm. benefit than is often talked about because when we look at why are these projects delayed, you know, people often point to okay, you know, the regulatory burdens have grown. But a bigger factor is really the litigation risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, public interest groups, which make up more than half of all of the litigations against NEPA decisions, have become very skilled at challenging uh, any kind of record decision from the government. And the government loses about half of its NEPA cases. So it, it's become a significant factor where agencies preparing these environmental impact statements have to sort of play whack-a-mole. They don't know what is going to come down the pipe in a court case, so they just try to do everything they possibly can. And as a result, that's made the you know page counts of these documents and the preparation timelines explode. So really reining that in with a shorter statute of limitations or ensuring that any new litigation that comes against a project had to have at least uh, submitted some sort of public comment uh, when they're when the project is actually being uh, solicited for review from the public. That is something that we've done in the past for select projects. Uh, In 2015, actually, uh, Obama signed into law as a Republican Congress that produced it. And that's something that I think we should just look at and expand and say, hey, you know, this worked really well for these projects. It did not reduce our environmental protections. It actually helped the environment. And this is something we can apply more broadly to other projects. Uh, you also mentioned in, uh, in your piece uh, some additional things that could be helpful, including uh, delegating some of that authority to the states to accelerate it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is something where we've seen that 
the federal government has um, a lot of problems with uh, document duplication, where they you know they already have uh, state level documents and other laws that are complied with that have produced relevant assessments, but they're not always using them, and they don't always have an interest in using them. So getting more authority to states and ensuring that Congress says, okay, you know, here are uh, the standards for what documents can be used in the process, those could have a big impact because that's going to alleviate a lot of the burden on federal agencies and put more of the workload on the agencies that actually have an interest in seeing these projects move quickly. And it, it's you know, something worth considering and, and potentially could be in a permitting reform. Yeah, fantastic. Great insight as always, Phil Rossetti. The R Street Institute's resident senior fellow studies all things energy related, helps us on all of these kind of important reforms. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right. And that's Phil Rossetti from R Street. And again, I think this is such an important thing to think through because often we we hear these new programs. We hear about this new spending. You may recall from yesterday's program, we talked about uh, all the money that had been allocated to study and look at rail and some some other things here in the West. Uh, And so much of that will be tied up either in litigation or in a lot of these regulatory hurdles. uh, And it prevents both uh, public investments and private investments from actually paying off. And so being able to uh, break that down the way Phil just did for us in terms of some simple policy changes, uh, again, we can remain committed to a better, cleaner, greener kind of energy, things that are better for the environment, for the planet and for the climate Uh, But we have to make sure that as we go about those, that we don't uh, overburden them with things that will prevent the project from ever getting off the ground. All right, we'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, Olivier Knox is going to join us. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.